All right. What's up, everybody? What's up? <laughs> what's up, what's up? <laughs> Welcome back to the Video Game Hour. I'm Tavit. And I'm Yusuf. And uh, this is it. This uh, video game, the video game of the hour uh, is... Dishonored 2, uh, Death of the Outsider. Death of the Outsider. Same. Not exactly know, Dishonored yeah. 2. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we're actually in the Boogie Down Bronx today. Yep. This is Yusuf's uh, not-so-humble digs. Very, very oh, awesome digs. it's pretty normal. It's, it's, Look, come on. You gotta get, you gotta get a apartment, man. <laughs> You get you get the tail of my cat over here. Our guest star frame. for the episode. It's being uh you know very friendly. Yeah, being very cat like. <laughs> he just likes to dominate the couch, so yeah. he doesn't want us to be on the couch without him knowing what's going on. Exactly, but, but unlike yeah. a dog, not like bounding into frame, just kind of lingering <laughs> yeah. right at the edge just of it. The very possible edge of the frame. Semi aloof. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by me regressing. Uh, when I come up to all my old high school neighborhood, I drink old high school beers. So that's how we you do. Know, that's a good beer <laughs> for for a high school beer. For high school you, beer. Yeah, you go a lot worse. I know it's true. That's right. true. I mean, I wasn't a huge drinker back in high school. I saved that till I got to college. Yes, <laughs> like many of us. This is for the best. You need for to the, yeah. study hard to get to college. Exactly. And then, once you're there, let, let, it, all, hang let out. it all hang out as much as possible. <laughs> I, know. I don't know if you had the, the same American experience too. Like, I got to college and I was like, this is easy compared yeah. to like, oh, yeah. high school was oh, yeah. raw dog, man. It's like, no more standardized tests, like, no more bullshit, yep. like, yep. subjects for the most part that you yeah. don't, don't, don't want to learn. Choose your own adventure, if you yeah. will. So that was nice. But yeah. speaking of choosing your own adventure. Nice segue. Amazing. <laughs> let's talk about the immersive sim yes. that we played this past few weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, Death of the Outsider. Mm -hmm. So it's an expansion for uh, the Dishonored franchise. Uh, technically, an expansion to Dishonored 2. So there right. was one, there was some DLC for one, there was two, and then this is like kind of the sole expansion, you know, downloadable content pack. And in it, uh, you're playing this woman named Billy Lurk, yeah. who is this assassin who used to work for Dowd, who was the major enemy slash protagonist of the first game. Like, you play as him in the DLC for the first game. Mm-hmm. But he's kind of the the other side of the coin to the main the game's main protagonist being Corvo. Otano. Oh, Corvo! Yes, Corvo Otano. Um, yes. And so yeah, Dowd is like the head of this group called the Whalers, and uh, they're just like this pretty much pretty uh, mercenary assassin gang that Billy was a part of in the first game, and then Dowd killed the queen. Dowd killed the Empress. Uh, Empress, um, who yeah. was uh, kind of who Corvo was working for, and who and and her death being the act that dishonored Corvo and created the name of the game and all of that. So he was very central to, he was the kind of inciting character for why Dishonored is Dishonored. And why I, people I mean, got Dishonored. Correct me if I'm wrong, because I, I definitely accidentally killed like one person in Dishonored 1. And mm -hmm. so I don't think I got like the pure ending or whatever. Oh. Um, I went for a no kill, but I fucked the it up. The same Undertale. Like, did he, yeah, yeah, exactly the same as Undertale. Did, was he? Uh, was Corvo ever re-honored? Was he like? Did he get his honor back? Yes. Okay. Um, I mean, you, no matter how you play, generally he does. Um, yeah, I mean, to, to just I'll just go through the plot. Just yeah, so yeah. and can. also the interesting thing is, I never played the second game. I never played Dishonored two. So Yusuf's yeah. kind of or like you our never subject. Finished Dishonored one. I you finished Dishonored oh, one. Yeah, okay. I just didn't get a no kill. I didn't get like oh. the perfect ending. Yeah, but um, even if you have a some kills it's pretty good pretty yeah. good ending yeah but even it felt like even like the like the you restore you know the princess to the empress whatever sure like even that had some like twinge of darkness to it like the yeah, whole game maybe. is kind of I mean of it's dark. yeah it's a dark world a very i mean like essentially the world is um 
this group of islands that are very Victorian inspired, kind of turn of the century, eighteen like, fifties to eighteen eighties kind uh, of range. Yeah, or yeah, before the twentieth century. Yeah, um, kind of the industrial era, like industrial revolution, a little bit around that area, like a little steampunk, hmm. um, and so it's totally fictional, but it's a empire with a kingdom, and it's not a democracy. Right. So yeah, you're basically in this Victorian series of islands, hmm. and in the first game, the queen, the empress, um, who whose name is escaping me because she was fridged very quickly. She was fridged super quickly. Uh, it was like the first five seconds yeah. of the game. So she gets killed by Dowd and his crew, right. and then you, you the, the player is playing as Corvo Otano, who's her kind of royal protector, and you'll find out later her lover. Ah. And um, she's murdered. Her daughter. Emily is kidnapped, and then Corvo is blamed for the right, crime. Like double frame though, because I remember halfway through the game there was like another reveal where like the people that like took over the bar with you, like they double cross you. Yes. you're like triple crossed. I'll get to double it. dishonored. <laughs> um, you know, he so he goes out, he gets Emily back. Uh, he breaks out of the jail, obviously, because he's you're the, the hero, so you yeah. can do whatever you want, and um, you kind of work with these uh, royalists who are. Uh, yeah. This, yeah, a group of like kind of like a lot of bureaucrats, bourgeoisie, like military um, uh, members who want to like kind of uh, bring, wrest the control of government back from the. Uh, so I forgot, like basically, like one of uh, em, uh, one of the empress's advisors had uh, conducted the coup. Mm-hmm. So you kind of go through the whole game. You know, you kill a bunch of people. It, the game has a structure, a very like kind of. Every level is a similar structure where you, there's like a person you have to assassinate or right. multiple people. And by doing that, you kind of move forward the, the events of the games until you get to the point where you can kind of overthrow the, the corrupt uh, leadership that had, um, had, that, that was behind the, the I like, guess, the plot the to kill crew. the Empress and blame you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, after you the do that. dishonorers. <laughs> after you kind of do all that, you then get double-crossed by the people who are supposedly trying to uh, or on your side or like the people who got you out of prison and right. use you as a tool to like kind of kill all these uh these key people okay. of course they're just using the tool so they could then kill you standard video game fare right and there the double double cross trusted it yeah uh you would know. you kindly <laughs> exactly and but you know you kill them you kill them back you, you you know you get them back and you and you save the day you save the princess and the second game has uh you playing at uh, kind of skips forward skips forward in time and you are Corvo and Emily, the em- the new Empress, are excuse me, are, are still um, are are in power, and then a kind of a similar, I guess, turn of events happens. Yeah. Where they're deposed, and and, th- and this time they're deposed by um, a woman called Delilah. Okay. Who is uh, kind of this witch character, and she showed up in uh, the DLC for Dishonored. Oh, so, the witches of Dunmore or whatever. Uh, Brigamore. Brigamore. Dunmore. Brigamore. Brigamore witches. Lots of Moors. Moors. A lot of Moor. And, it's, and yet, it's very da- few it's black people place. in the you know. <laughs> oh I mean, yeah, I was the time Moors. period. Moors. No, no, I know. But they're definitely more around. Yeah, yeah. There weren't too many Moors. No, no. Um, yeah. So like, uh, in the second game, you're trying to get back in power. Right. Uh, and it takes place in a southern island, not in the main city of Dunwall. Ah. So you're in Circonos, uh, which is like kind of a, uh, is where the Corvo came from. So you kind of get the, it's cool, it's a glimpse of, it's very like, it's where Dunwall was like this cool Victorian Londonish city. Circonos is a lot more like, it, it, it nods to the, the colonialist nature of that, that time period. So like it's a city that 
has a lot of like kind of colony aspects to it where like the architecture is inspired like this uh, jungle has taken over a lot more and you get like kind of beautiful like uh, French colonial style like you know double windows and like narrow streets and, nice. and then it lead up into like you know jungly mountains so like cool. you kind of have that colonial city aspect to it and that's where the the, the events of that game take so place. So that's Dishonored 2. Dishonored 2 Fact, which cool. and, and then uh, key to explaining this is that in Dishonored 2 the woman who breaks you out of, or who, like helps you get out of the the city when you're under attack, is Billy Lurk, who mm. is, um, she was Dowd's second hand woman, and she was helping him out. In the end of of Dishonored One, in the DLC, she actually betrays Dowd, oh. uh, because she had grown up with um, with the witch, with Delilah, and so she kind of teams up with Delilah to kind of betray Dowd. Just makes the first mission of Death of the Outsider make a little bit more sense. <laughs> yes. yeah. See, I'm going in totally I know. blind. It's a, it's a lot of like lead up, especially because so much of it happens in like DLC actually, right? Because right? like Billy's role is very like kind of ancillary to a lot of the plot of the games. Yeah. But in the second one, she does come in and she like, but she kind of hides her identity. She's like, she I think she calls herself like Megan Foster. And, oh, um, that's why she keeps saying Megan's dead. See, yeah. look at all this. Stuff. I know it's, I, it's all know, coming together. No plot playthrough right over here man that's crazy it's, it's kind of like when you like jump into a show like in the yeah yeah, yeah like in the middle you, of like, it go back and watch like the first episode you're totally like, oh, in like, media yeah, res yeah. yeah um yeah so she like kind of helps either emily or Cole, where you can play as either of them in that game okay um if like you pick one the other one just gets like frozen in rock and like conveniently like put aside as a way to like mechanically <laughs> narratively explain Wait, like, actually why. frozen in rock yeah because like uh, the witch has like, all these powers which kind of like freezes you when amazing. you try and attack her amazing so Megan like kind of takes you down to Zikonos and you kind of go ahead uh, similarly uh, go around and kill key figures that were behind the coup until you can like figure out how to like over overthrow uh, Delilah okay cool in the end of the game like uh, Megan reveals that she's Billy and then you kind of uh forgive her i think that's really the only option you're like okay yeah, <laughs> cool you killed, you you'll killed have my to mom survive, or you killed yeah. my wife like but um you know you are like uh like she helped you she helped you so much in that game like, as a way to kind of i think find redemption mm, okay so um and then and then in the, in the end of at the end of that like i guess series of missions or of dishonored to like the main game she's just like billy lurk is like i'm billy lurk I'm gonna go find. I'm gonna go find out and uh, you know figure out what, what's going on with him because he's been like missing or like she kind of well, like she's found redemption with you know Corvo and Emily uh, for being responsible for their you know for the previous Empress's death and now she's gonna find redemption with uh, with Doubt okay. who she had betrayed. Okay, so and all, that's how Death of the Outsider kind of all of this makes a lot of sense now. <laughs> yeah. This is thank you, thank you so much for that rundown on the series. But there's an interesting omission that you've made throughout oh, all this, sure. which I actually remember feeling when I was playing the first Dishonored, mm -hmm. which is throughout all of this intrigue and all of this setup, you never once mentioned the Outsider, right? Uh, that's true. And when yeah. I was playing the first game, I had this incredible kind of there was not any. It was just this sense of dissonance or distance from the character of the outsider, possibly because the outsider is so liminal. It's this like interdimensional, like semi god being yeah. that like comes in and out and like assists Corvo by giving him powers and a mark or whatever, and like he's marked Dowd as well. Yes. Um, and there's like a whole bunch of stuff here, but like I always felt like it was such a unnecessary extra like addition to the plot. And then this is called Death of the Outsider, so I'm jumping back in at the like deep end like far end of the pool 
And I'm like, all right, so it's starting to kill that guy I didn't really like that much from the first game. Great, like, don't know why, but yeah, why, yeah. right? Like, who is the outsider and why is that character even a mainstay in this world that's already so rich in, you were saying, Victorian lore? There's actually a lot of, like, whaling, like, to mm -hmm. do in the game. It's not even steampunk, it's, like, oil punk in a way, like, mm. whale oil punk. Because, <laughs> um, like, there's, like, all these explosive barrels that are full of, like, glowing whale oil that, like, powers the whole world. And, you know, whale oil did power a lot of the world in the 1800s it was a very sure. very important fuel and commodity um so why the outsider who the outsider what the outsider what the outsider what the outsider yeah it's actually it's, it's funny that i didn't admit it because you're right he's a liminal character he's like very um in many ways yeah, he's unnecessary to the central plot except except as a like a deus ex character where right. he kind of comes in um gives you powers that allow you you know to you know overcome much more or overcome like extreme odds against how you normally would, so would like, perform it's like know. dishonored to death of the MacGuffin. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> just kidding it's, it's essentially it's, i think there it's almost like an ending that storyline it's yeah. like we're gonna now yeah we'll we'll find a way to like tie up that yeah the MacGuffin or, or like the deus ex machina like device that has powered the rest of the game okay um, and it's pretty much what he is, and I think it's interesting because they've—I feel like they've always had a conflict with how to present the character. Like, and they've shifted him a little bit as you know between the first and second game. Okay, it's just a character that definitely I think they recognize a lot of people don't necessarily like. Um, yeah, you know, what is he like? What's his point? What's his, what's the purpose? Yeah, I think uh, at least in the first game, he's supposed to be kind of like a, a, a want, like kind of a ambivalent god character who's like uh, playing with humanity as like a like a series of toys like oh, it's okay. like you know i'm gonna like throw some powers here throw some powers there and then you know watch you have fun because every time you you know you you wander onto one of his shrines he'll warp you to his world and be like oh you can kill people or you can not and you know we'll see i just gave you the power and interesting then, um, so he kind of represents neutrality in some ways yeah he's kind of yeah he's almost like, this, in the like game detached like... morality where he's like it's, he's trying to see what happens when you give the gun to the child or something like you know that's interesting kind of, it is really how he views humanity i mean because he's like this thousand year old uh deity essentially okay um but it's interesting that in a game where every single mission as you said is capped off by the choice of whether you kill or just capture or kill or incapacitate the outsider does start to begin to feel like a characterization of the neutrality of the game engine in a way it's like here's all these powers yeah here's a scenario what are you gonna do yeah, and uh, I think uh, yeah, na narratively and mechanically, it, they kind of that definitely coalesces, and more and more, I think as the as the series progresses, as, as they like be, as Arcane like becomes aware of or becomes better at like kind of meshing the the game and like or structuring the game in a way that like you feel like what you're doing feels natural to like what what the narrative is saying that mm -hmm. you're doing, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because it is a game about making choices and it's a game about um, that gives you a wide range of flexibility of how to approach something. So, like, it would make sense that then to create this character, like the outsider, who um, is almost like the game developer whispering in your ear. Kind of felt that way. Like, yeah. what are you going to do? I gave you these tools, and now, you know, go crazy. Like, you know, you, but, you know, I, maybe I'll judge you because, uh, it, sure, if I'm a, a game developer who has their own, um, you know, their own set of ex expectations of how a player would approach something. Maybe I'll be like, oh, you just went in and killed everybody? That's kind of Damn. fucked up. Like, <laughs> but that's it's totally like that, that 
uh, outlook where you're detached. Yeah, you're detached. It. You've and made the art. And now you're world. It's not, your left world. It into and the world. It's not a yeah. real world. It's like it's this like toy box world that yeah. you've erected that you're then kind of <clears throat> you know the ha- all these like moral quandaries are like happening throughout the world and and are being are being like um played off of like your your actions as yeah, a player totally they're being like affected like like butterfly effect style of like everything you do so like the more violent you act the the more ugly the world looks and the more uh violent other npcs might be like uh if you like play the game completely nonviolently, sometimes like um, the game will look a certain way. But then if you go if you go back and do it and kill everybody, you might uh, stumble across like some mugger killing like an innocent bystander. Okay, like, this is yeah. interesting though because all of that seemingly was stripped out of Death of the Outsider. There's yeah. a real sense of uh, that that neutrality takes a sort of front seat because I, I remember that feeling when I played Dishonored One of like. Yeah. And, and this is also partially not just the game designer, but me, the game player. I love, I know we talked about this before, if there's a possibility of a no-kill uh, you know, win, then I try my best to do stealth and no-kill, just because it's a, usually a more difficult and a more rewarding path. Yeah. But Death of the Outsider really felt like all of those um, moral guardrails had been like lowered. And yeah. I was just really like, as you said, approaching it like a playground or a diorama that I could just like go in. And I honestly like... I've never been so kill happy in in a game like this before in a immersive stealthy sim kind of mm-hmm. game uh, action sim kind of game I just went in daggers blazing or whatever like you sure. know wrist thwippy wrist murder dagger dart thing blazing yeah. <laughs> I just killed everybody and there was no there was seemingly no effect is that the case or is there it is yeah uh, and it, it's interesting that that is what they decided to do with this I, I think it's like it might it might be a result of i think in two ways because the game is both a narrative conclusion and a kind of feels like a serious conclusion i mean they might make a third dishonored but it, yeah i mean if it's sold well then that's the machine yeah, i mean but it, it's certainly a cap to a lot of storylines you know like um that happened that like kind of led up through that game like you kind of see the end of of in Dishonored 2 you see the end of like um of Delilah the Witch's storyline, you see, and then in this DLC, you see the end of Dowd's and the Outsider, and ostensibly Billy Lurks, like at least her involvement with the two. Okay. So I think it's. And Corvo's like, still alive? Yeah, Corvo's still around. Okay, cool. So you kind of like, I think it's definitely like a conclusion to a lot of um, narrative arcs, and also I think it's a, re- a reflection of just like being the third or for the fifth, if you count the DLCs, yeah, you got the DLCs. Um, chapter of like a, a you know long run, running franchise, right. where I think they it's almost like there's a little bit more trust in the player and a little more um, openness and less of a desire to like to you know, pass judgment necessarily on how you're approaching the game. And I think also uh, it, it has a lot to do with the character herself, like where she's always been an outsider, oh. <laughs> but not that kind of outsider, a normal outsider to the events of the game you know she's like she was a dlc for the first game um she was kind of a quest giver uh I mean, so she's more involved in the second game but she still wasn't really doing much beyond could sort like, of say she was lurking in this i forget it that was terrible sure <laughs> i'll let terrible. her i'll let it go i'll let it go <laughs> um, Not but funny. yeah uh, but yeah she's always like like kind of a, uh extraneous to the main plot so when you then kind of fill her shoes 
I think the game's saying like this is different. Like this is not the you know the royal family uh, that you are playing in the first game. These are not like the classic protagonisty video game She's characters. Like I mean, she has a dark past. She has an you know ambiguous like uh, moral code um, that's like kind of shifting. And and you can play it a lot more. Um, I mean, you can play it. Like you said, violently. Yeah. I mean, you could also you could not. do a no kill. And you yeah. could do a no kill too. So I think it's like it's a little bit more like the tools are. I think there. it's more a commentary on her like um, uh, marginality in society, like the fact that she Maybe she's isn't not being treated as a full character with a moral code, or or I think it's it's her relationship to the power structure, like because the in the first two in the main games you're playing royalty, you're literally playing yeah. like the queen or like or the, the empress protector or her lover. protector, yeah. Like a cop or like a <laughs> president. True. Fucking cops, man! Um, Again. So you're like, that's your character, and and in the, and in Death of the Outsider, you are like a criminal um, in that society, and you are kind of outside of this, outside of that society. So I think that's where they're trying to place you, and that's why they're kind of trying to like dismantle or at least like defang these kind of like moral rules rules that that had previously existed but they impose a whole bunch of new rules in fact when i was playing death of the outsider i think i didn't do it in the very first mission by the second mission i had found the like the job notice board or whatever uh and really the game became something that was very much akin to um the latest hitman which we Mm -hmm. also covered in the video game hour uh where this essentially uh, as you had called it sort of like a toy box or a playground very much so each little level that you enter is this like really intricate series of passageways and uh, access routes to a main structure uh, or structures, like a sub and a main structure mm-hmm. uh, that you need to infiltrate uh, through murder or through stealth um, and then take out your prime target, very much like the uh, Hitman game. But these additional quests or these like side missions, these side hustles within the main uh, mission add very Hitman-esque special conditions that you need to meet, objects you need to find, routes you need to take. Um, I finally got to the conservatory one where you were right. I had to like kill everybody except mm-hmm. for one character. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, oh, matches my playstyle for this game. And yeah. it really felt like it took on um, the, the sort of same aspects and same uh, personality as that Hitman game. With some key differences, though. Mm. Like, the gameplay felt very... Uh, fast and loose compared to the Hitman sure. experience, yeah. which was very rigid. Um, and you can't very... really go in guns blazing in Hitman. No, I think <laughs> yeah, the game had more guardrails about murder. Yeah, in the open, where yeah. Billy Lurk, like I'm using her like displace power to like set up these ridiculous domino effect yeah, things, yeah, yeah. but on the fly. Like yeah. I needed to plan less in uh, Dishonored, and I enjoyed that more actually. I, mm-hmm. I liked the fluidity and the pace of. Um, Dishonored more than I enjoyed the pace uh, and lack of fluidity in Hitman. But I definitely felt like they were they were kinfolk. Oh yeah, I think know? there was a lot of similarities there. And I mean, basically to explain it, the contracts were you kind of go to a job board and there's like four or five. There's like one in every level. Yeah, or like one to four um, extra like extra missions that don't have anything to do with the main mission, and it's like some random character paying you money to do something specific in that world so some will be like there's a book i lost there yeah can you go acquire it there's a person you got to kill i um, found i've hidden a mystical object but good luck with all my traps in my yeah, apartment yeah, I was like well you're an asshole yeah what <laughs> a, dick. a shitty job why would you get why would you put that out yeah there? Like you could also just also go, i'm a trap maker yeah it's a trap though <laughs> it's a trap the object is a trap, I a trap um but yeah and they just like those really open up the world and they kind of 
uh, give you an uh, impetus to explore the world more Absolutely. than you would if there was no other thing to do. And and you had something, you had stuff like that in the other games, but it's mainly just like uh, there is like a bone charm and in this area, like when you like kind of create, put up your vision to like see bone charms in the first games, you'd be like, oh, there's an apartment that's not anywhere near the main apartment. Yeah, so I'm gonna, like, or it's a main, real place. Yeah, the main like mission waypoint. But the apartment would then you would go there and then you there'd be a little environmental storytelling and like you know other aspects of the world would be like un, you know kind of revealed from ex, from that exploration. So it, it's kind of like building off of that, but making it a lot more concrete because yeah. it's giving you something beyond just like a collectible object. Like exactly, it's giving you like kind of an actual parameters. Sometimes that can be very yeah. challenging. It can be very challenging. Absolutely, yeah. it was funny. I kind of like accidentally completed most of them mm -hmm. on the second mission because mm -hmm. I like found the job board like basically after I had completed the mission. Oh, nice! And I like went and got all of them, and it was like complete, complete, complete. Oh, it was nice. like, All right, <laughs> but then I also had spent like ten hours yeah. on that mission. It was some ridiculous like because I, I that was a composer mission. Yeah, it yeah, was a composer yeah. mission. Mm -hmm. And it's an interesting thing because, like I said, I was enjoying the pace more mm -hmm. of Dishonored uh, over Hitman, but I definitely had to break a few of my habits to get the best experience out of the game. The game engine and the game mechanics and dynamics were such that my slow, plotting, no-kill way of playing was absolutely possible. Um, but I think also the combination of like wanting to get this game done so we could record, yeah. and because some other very important games have come out, <laughs> that shall, uh, not, be that shall not be named until <laughs> another video game hour. Um, you know, I really, by the end of that second mission, I was like, oh, okay. Like, I'm reading on people like online, and they're like, there's five missions in the game, and I can beat it in ten hours. And I was like, I just played mission two for like ten hours. Oh yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, yeah. Like, this is a game. I'm doing this do shit way too carefully. No, and then I, I was mean, like, maybe. fuck it, what? Just sort of like throwing a whole bunch of like daggers out and just yeah. murdering people. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, each mission could be completed in like five minutes, yeah, ten minutes maybe. Oh yeah, so that's always been the case with Dishonored. Like, so I looked up a bunch of yeah. speed runs, mm -hmm. and that's where I started to sort of see a very interesting thing kind of start to unfold. This game is consistently called an immersive sim. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Uh, well, that's a con you know contentious definition or contra or uh, a uh, controversial definition. Because yeah, it's it's certainly immersive. Yeah, I, I get that. But mm -hmm. where does sim come from? Does that resonate with you at all? Do you feel oh, like sure. it's a sim? Why? Well, I mean, give me give me give me like unpack yeah, it I mean, a little bit more. Uh, there's been some discussion about it. I'll link a pretty good article by this guy uh, uh, Robert Yang, who like kind of wrote about whether. The emergency sim was was this was like kind of a second incarnation of it because the the first round was obviously like Deus Ex the original right. one um, like Thief yep a lot of the, you know some a lot of the 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 progenitors of of the Arcane Studio guys like they they had worked on some of these games before Thief, Deus yeah, um, yeah and then so they this is these games are kind of them reliving that tradition and kind of paying homage to those games like a lot, especially like a lot of these missions in Death of the Outsider felt extremely thiefy and they did and, um, the bank especially the, yeah the bank there's like a bank heist which feels very like traditional in terms of structure and of thiefy, like, um, specifically yeah totally you're like literally cracking vaults yeah. and shit yeah <laughs> Um, and what made those uh, what categorized those as their own like kind of subgenre of an action uh, first person action game I guess was the um, yeah that immersive sim element which which was essentially to the the ability to like kind of uh, approach 
a world in a creative way and use like many of the different uh, objects that you can then find in that world to solve the mission in a, in a number of like non-standard ways like this as opposed to your average maybe like uncharted or like linear action game where you kind of expected to follow a path and, and the um, only key to a puzzle is the bullets in your gun yeah or there is mark. literally a key to the puzzle yeah. that or you yeah pick up or exactly yeah like, yeah, yeah. You know, like, <laughs> totally. like a doom game or something and you need to go get the key to open the blue door yeah. like this is like there's a key but there's also like a window but there's also a basement or you can possess somebody and walk through a door or you can possess a rat or you can go over the roof like there's just like a bunch of different um ways to progress and then you can also be violent or non-violent i think there's always an option too um, in terms of uh, giving you that stealth uh, option. So I think, I mean, immersive as a term is a little meaningless because it's kind of overused in terms of like describing games because like, you know, most games to some extent are immersive because you're, if you're believing in the world and believe you're a character in that world, you are immersed. But the, I think the simulator, simulation-y element of that name comes from um, giving you uh, a tool set to, to creatively solve problems in um, in a small in a kind of enclosed space. And for me, it's the opposite. For, uh, okay. Semantically, semantically, sure. because I I totally felt and bought into the immersive moniker. Mm -hmm. I was like, that's perfect. It's totally an immersive, you know, game because I'm put in this scenario with a very specific characterization, uh, with a specific set of tools, with some secondary objects that allow me to like, you know, sort of trigger reactions from that game world. But the sim part felt a little hollow to me. Only because I just... I get that there are multiple paths. Mm -hmm. And I get that there are multiple objects. And I get that there are multiple approaches. And all of that is so exciting as a player. You know, it's what yeah. I look for in a game. It's why I love Deus. It's why I love Metal Gear Solid. It's why I love all these different games that allow you to solve puzzles or scenarios in a number of different ways. Yeah. But I stopped short of calling it a sim only because... I, it. It felt so limited, so focused in its application yeah. uh, of the set pieces and of the world. Like, for example, objects really have very, very few roles that they can play for you. Mm. You can find an object that, that is magically trans translated into coins, like the pearl fan and the, you know, refined whale oil jugs and whatever the gold ignats and all that stuff ingots. Sorry, ingots. And then there's other objects that are literally just made to produce sound, right? You throw them, whiskey glass, bottle, full or empty, whatever. There's food items that give you health. And then there's whale oil canisters that explode or power objects. Are there... Am I missing anything? There I mean, may sure. Be, I mean... There may be some other. Like, all the tools you have as the character. Like, sure, yeah, you know, the tools the, you have the as the character. various grenades, bullets, yep. Yep. sleep darts, kill darts, you know... Uh, Traps, exactly. et cetera, et cetera. And all of those objects come together to like create a range of different ways that I can end up doing one of two things to other characters, which is kill them mm -hmm. or permanently put them to sleep for the duration of the mission. Sure. And it, I think it was in that, in the fact that sleep versus death were actually pretty much the same choice, except for the time it took to render that. Mm -hmm. decision upon the other chokeouts take a little bit longer than kills directly yeah. but in other games that i've played within this stealthy world there have been different weights to sleep versus death sleep sometimes you wake back up uh -huh. right death is permanent 
and sure. there's a weight to it there's a morality to it and there's like a whole you know different endings and all sorts of different stuff that a game can trot out based on those decisions but yeah. when we remove all of those I also kind of lost a bit of the meaning of the of the word sim within this genre description because there was no real to me uh, mm. as a player in the moment there was no real consequence to one decision that I would make or another because mm. if the plot wasn't going to change if the world wasn't going to change based on my decisions yeah. and if the character sleeping was actually the same level of um, sort of the, the same totalizing effect upon the enemy they could not come back to wakingness mm. um, that really just rendered the entire experience a little bit less of a simulation uh, and more of a I don't know immersive <laughs> multi-path thing <laughs> i don't even know what to call it yeah no i think that's like an uh, a good take and it, it's really just about the you know definitions of words yeah because, I mean, i'm being semantic and in, but... in both cases both words can are, are just like it's a marketing term obviously and <laughs> i mean okay. like but i think both words can like can be can be stretched and semantically applied in different ways like you know uh, simulation often uh, literally just means like things will behave in a realistic way like you know a racing sim or a flight sim or mm -hmm. a or the sims like where you kind of like um, uh, or sim city games where you're kind of taking like uh, probably complex systems and simplifying them yeah and creating and having things react in a way to your input which I mean so many games essentially do this um, and I don't know like I I, I, I don't necessarily think that, like, um, having kind of a moral reaction to your um, actions means anything about, or, like, sure. s signifies whether it's a sim or not. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, I think it's just, like, probably a personal, your personal response or your emotional, like, whether, yeah, whether no, the morals, subjective whether the morals of the game, like, uh, resonate with you, essentially, versus, because I think, I mean, if you're going to talk about whether it's a sim, it is, I mean, like, um... If you throw an object, somebody hears it and walks to the up to the wall, like they're responding to your input. And so, like, if you like, um, you know, drop something that's flammable and it explodes, so you, you the, it's same thing with like, you know, Breath of the Wild. You could probably consider that immersive sim yeah. because, like, I would consider that almost more of an immersive sim in some ways. I mean, just sure. I'm not even like trying to compare it. I'm just saying, like, if we're if we're going to yeah. describe what is immersive, you know, what what does that mean? Like, then yes, like. Simulation systems in the game. systems that you can use to like have creative like um, uh, creative scenario so problem solving that like is is like kind of is generated by your input. Sure. So like a lot of games will do that. I think <clears throat> it th calling Dishonored and its franchise like an immersive sim it really works. mainly is for the marketing angle of it, ah, where it's okay. like. It just basically saying I'm categorizing this as like one of the of the of the kind of tranche of games that do this thing like you know Deus Ex, the oh, the new Deus Ex is Thief, um, Prey, yep. and really anything by Arcane, <laughs> yeah, other they've made recently, and then like the stuff that happened like 10, 15 years ago or twenty years ago, yeah, totally. So and that so like that is the more like for me the more. Um, um, effective uh, application of the word or the more like maybe relevant and then you can get into semantic arguments but I guess the question is like uh, probably more interesting question is like do you think that the systems are like are successful at making you feel like you have freedom to solve 
uh, situation or to solve the problems the game throws at you in creative ways. Sort of. Yes. Mm. More yes than no. Absolutely more yes than no. It succeeds. And I think that maybe because I'm such a fan of these types of games, particularly mm. Deus Ex, like I'm already in a mental mode where I'm looking for the the alternate paths. Yeah. But there's a there's even a limit there, right? They that we're sure. on design paths versus being given tools where we can forge our own. Um, is an interesting thing because and and it's not a bad thing. I'm not actually discrediting the game for the decisions that it makes and, and the decision that it makes and the rules that it has to impose upon the player. For example, like there are many moments where you come to a uh, a gate, you know, or yeah. a window with gates over it, sure. right? And you and you look at that gate and you know that in the simulation part of my mind, I'm like, well, if I'm Billy Lurk, I'm reaching my hand through a gate that my arm fits through, uh -huh. my weird skeletal arm <laughs> fits through, and I'll cast Displace so I can just end up around the gate. But the game is like, no, 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 friend. We put these gates here because you as a player need to figure out that we created a couple paths for you mm -hmm. that you can take that you, that there's a little problem you gotta solve. There's a person behind the gate and they'll see you if you come at it from this other angle. So you can't just displace through gates or windows or whatever. Sure. And you kind of think about it. You're like, well, I want, you know, I'm there. I'm, I'm, I'm there with you in this sim moment. And I get why I can't do it because it would make the scenario impossibly easy and unfunnily easy, right? Mm -hmm. But I also am like, but I'm almost there in in terms of engine, in terms of like game choice <laughs> and ability. Like I'm I'm in a scenario where you're telling me I can do whatever I need to do to solve this problem uh, and murder this person. Um, I certainly can't talk my way into or out of a scenario. Yeah, that's not just that not a mechanic. Yeah, it's not that kind <laughs> yeah. of game. So it's simulating being a murderer or person who puts people in chokeholds really, really well. Yeah. Um, but then I can't cast myself through a gate that obviously, mm -hmm. you know, it, and it's little moments like that where, again, it, it does not detract from the overall enjoyment of it. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe it's just I'm asking too much of computerized systems and there's like just, there would be way too much to design. There would be way too many uh, contingencies to take into uh, account. But you have games that are coming out now that are systematically, um, you know, Fourth walling and breaking a lot of the standard rules that we associate mm -hmm. uh, with the dissonance between a character and the actions I can take as a player. And I'll bring up one specific example. Um, I, haven't, I haven't played the game yet, but there's a game called Near Automata, mm -hmm. uh, and it's like a platinum games like slasher, like you know, beat 'em up game. Yeah, uh, it's supposed to be really good. And I saw a playthrough of it, or like some gameplay of it, where the player goes into the menu. And in the menu, you're, you're simulating being inside of the character. You go into your internal BIOS, this like cyborg's like options menu in their brain. Yeah. And there's an option to remove the core firmware mm -hmm. chip or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you do it and the game ends and it's game over. Mm -hmm. Because you've like essentially canceled yourself. Sure. self And it's completely cosmetic. Yeah. It does nothing but renders you to the game over in the credit screen. Uh -huh. But in that acknowledgement of the options and the format it really gives me a sense of like oh funny it doesn't really affect gameplay but it brings me one step closer to the semantic truth of what a simulator could be but even that is just like a, a kind of a nod to the fourth wall in it some is ways. it's I more mean, fourth wall than simulator because it's like yeah i think we have to pinpoint what like you know we don't you don't want a like a, a, a simulation of the real world no, because like, that's no. Cause you don't want to. You go outside and then you shoot somebody and the cops arrest you and then that's the end of the game or something. Like, yeah, you you still want to design experience. You know, there's a limit. And it's something we've talked about a lot. It's just like you know whether 
um, whether the whether the rules of the game like allow you to do what you want to do or you know what where you run where you run into them like or, yeah where you butt up against them you yeah know? and and like whether like you need something to be realistic or not yeah I had the same experience in The Witcher where mm -hmm. there was some mission early on in the game where you like find this like werewolfy dude and his like lover. And yeah. I was like, oh man, I'm a good guy. Like Tavit's a good guy. So mm -hmm. Tavit's gonna like let the werewolf live and go out of the cave. And the game was like, no, we built a cutscene for you assholes who like wanna let the werewolf live. And like you go outside and Geralt is like, I'm actually a witcher and I have to kill you because you're a monster and you kill people. Mm -hmm. And then like the game forces you into a confrontation with the werewolf because there's a path that this character would take. And just like in that Billy Lurk scenario, we're murderers. We're like, we're assassins. Mm -hmm. We're going to you know, save the the guy that raised us and gave us our assassinly powers. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we're gonna like not we're gonna slit some throats and do some disgusting, beautiful, disgusting animations. Yes. Holy good, crap, good the murder Oh my god. Are, yeah. I was like, I don't get grossed out very easily, but I was like, you put the dagger through the guy's head. Because in every moment the player is simulating or, you know, in a simulation of what it means to be Billy Lurk in these scenarios. Yeah. I mean it's also like whether the game is make you know that's a, that's the, the the conflict right between obviously the forever the eternal conflict of games between the mechanics of the game and whether and whether the the mechanics support the story that it's telling and the fact that it wants to tell a story because some yeah. games don't really want to tell no. stories that much and I think you know Dishonored games certainly do like um, and they want you and they want to create a character what's cool is like you know Billy is a character you Absolutely. know she has her particular like feet like she fe she feeds back from the world quite a funny she has her, yeah she yeah. has a perspective on the world so like um sometimes you know like and there's like this conflict between like you know you playing the game and treating like being like tavit's playing the game like i'm in this world i'm the character i'm um killing or not killing i'm like you know messing around with the environment or you're like you know i'm, I'm role playing as billy lurk and kind of having that unique experience of playing a game where a game is where you're being told a story but you're also like a part telling that story yeah, and you're exactly. part of that story and then like um are you like do you like yeah are, are you in the position where you are being almost like forced to like listen to a story that you don't want to hear hmm. which is like a lot of times what happens with uh lengthy cutscenes or what have you in games where players will just want to uh, skip them and go on to the, the this uh, different layer of the story that yeah. is like still narrative but uh, maybe a little uh, kind of where the needle swinging back toward um, player driven emergent narrative or um, or are you like into this like kind of role playing um, and then like having the story told to you through like your actions and like right. and just being totally cool with that and the kind of and, like kind of bounce kind of uh feeding back off of that in a positive way like totally so i think that's like kind of a it's a really big like task for any game to to kind of ride that line and especially right? like this freedom, yeah this this interactive media that we are so obsessed with you know like this mm -hmm. is meant to be stories that are told with your participation mm -hmm. whether it's you know press x to mourn in the call of duty uh joke or what however you connect the player to the narrative i think it's a really important thing so i i ask you because you've played all of all of the dishonored stuff and i know you really love it like how was the story for you was um, it was it a payoff thought, was it yeah there was there was certainly payoff there uh, and I, I think for me like it was mainly in the the way the perspective of your character shifts over the three games because dishonored one you start uh playing as corvo 
as you mentioned, the cop who's like just like cop of royalty, Grizzly McDude, who's just like <laughs> super McDude. Um, upset about getting you know by by his you know lady getting fridged and his surrogate child being kidnapped and not like, his actual baby. It is his baby, but like you know, not um, it's not a it's it's a secret, you know. Okay. So he has to kind of pretend it's just like her child, right? So you it's a very traditional like narrative i think like and disappointingly so yep. considering how like rich other parts of the of the world are in terms of like the, the way they they like structure society and they critique the structure of society they critique religion yep. um there's a very like religious sect called uh the order um i think they're called the order but yeah so you kind of have like um some parts of the game that are, that are clever and some parts that feel very like uh reliant on like a status quo that's kind of boring and then in the second one they like step it up a notch and you get to uh the option to play as emily uh caldwin who's like the uh the daughter of the empress she is now the empress uh she's a cool character interesting has her own backstories and her own like relationship with the rest of the world and that perspective is very different than if you're playing as corvo again if you play a corvo it'd be very similar to the first game uh. where it's like you know you're protecting your daughter and you're kind of getting revenge and it's like but when you get to play as emily there's like uh a lot more like about being able to about her role as an empress and like kind of learning about the, the the place that she runs because like going from kind of being a spoiled brat and like she's kind of recognizing her privilege in the world and and so you get those lines of thought that kind of extend outwards and at the same time it's the abbey actually the abbey of the everyman not the order i was thinking of like oh. the, of like some random ps4 game oh okay cool but as the abbey is like the religious sect so in that game since you are what's interesting is because you are part of like the leadership of the world like or you're like running everything. The Abbey works for you. In the mm. first game, the Abbey is kind of an enemy, and then, and then um, since they were working for like kind of the false, uh, the coup yeah. that like overthrew you. And the, the second game, like they're basically your police force, um, but they're kind of also they're still shitty people. Like they are all about like um, I mean they're they're anti outsider, they're anti like magical powers. Like they're trying to kind of it's very like inquisitiony, mm -hmm. kind of shut down any kind of weird um witchcraft like it's kind of like calls back to a lot of like the worst um the worst impulses of religion re re organized religion and suppress yeah suppress anything creative or interesting and like weird it's all about you know they, they wear these masks so you can't see their faces like it's, it's not a good looking organization no 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 but it's like they're allied with you much more in this game because in the second game because you're kind of fighting the witches um, and then what's happening in the in Death of the Outsider is like I said, like I mentioned before, like since Billy is like this outsider character and this marginal character to the world, um, you get I think a lot a much more um, diverse and feminist perspective mm -hmm. of the of the world as that had been constructed in the first two games, and um, especially of the Abbey because you've played the um, uh, the the what's it called the, it's like the museum greenhouse yeah, yeah, thing yeah. Um, conservatory the conservatory yeah so like it's probably weird for you because it's like an imperfect like narrative yeah i was like where am i because, why does this matter yeah because like, why are these posters whispering to me well that's like a whole other thing which right, we probably cool. won't get into okay cool <laughs> too meta but <laughs> too meta um but i'm the, in, the conservatory. in the conservatory like that's a mission in the second game yeah and um, there's like there's like the sightless the like yeah so they're not even they're not so to quickly explain, in the second game, the witches have taken over the conservatory, and like they're like kind of your main enemy because they they helped overthrow you, and um, 
so they are so you go to the conservatory to kind of take out the lieutenant of delilah and she like her coven is like living there and so it's like nothing but witches there yeah um and they're kind of trying to use like a this like fantastical device to um hypnotize and like possess the the um nuns nun characters who work for the abbey to basically turn the abbey onto the side of, of delilah and the witches so they're trying to kind of like um, subvert yeah. yeah and um and from within like kind of take over the abbey and what happens you know in the, in the second game you just kill them all or sleep them all sleep or whatever all. either way you kind of break break apart their coven and like kind of and and end that particular like their regime and from that perspective you're just like cool um i took out the bad guy and i'm moving on and you know, I go off and I solve, and I save the day. But and then you, you, when you play that mission now in the Death of the Outsider, um, you get a lot of really gruesome scenes that, and like, are almost like I feel like they could have put a trigger or a trigger warning in there, maybe because like, it, it's very like um, uh, torturey. Like they basically yeah. have the Abbey like torturing um, a lot of the witches who um, who are who had remained there who weren't able to escape. Right. They basically in prison and and are like literally torturing these witches to death yep, yep. to try and figure out what makes them where they get their outsiders magic from um and and yeah, you and you caused this like, like your psycho character, doctor yeah. notes were like really brrutal it's really and, like, absolutely brutal recordings yeah the recordings like, are going on? intense um and th- you caused this like you the player like through the actions of emily or corvo in the same game and um aligned with that power structure are responsible for that happening so and then in the third game you're kind of like it's almost like the hotline miami like where you after you kill a room full of people you have to walk through the corpses to get back outside to your car it's like my favorite part of that game yeah. like they cut the music and you're just like walking through the blood and the guts and you're just like this is like re- what have i done yeah replay you've sown etc yeah. like see what you've you've you have done as uh, your actions have caused so they're kind of doing that in the structure of a whole mission and, and this time you're like Megan, who is, or Billy Lurk, who's like this outsider character, and like she, and like you really like, I think it really unmasked the Abbey even more so as like, just like monsters, you know. And then you get the contract that's like kill them all, and you're like, cool, I can do this. I can do this. Uh, this seems I'm like happy a good idea. This. Yeah. And it's like probably, the, and it's interesting because like probably the only time in Dishonored where you're like, oh yeah, this is like, you know, you're, you're killing because like. I, it's like it's real like redemption you know i mean there are a few times like where you're like um justified where you feel like you're where you feel like it would be driven by the character's anger Mm -hmm. especially like in the beginning of dishonor 2 where you like like you were just like um betrayed by your guard so you're like then you can go and like kill them when you escape the the castle because you're like fuck you you just like like a perfect reversal um but in the in 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 the case of death of the outsider it's similar where it's like you know you're kind of this is like revenge like just pure revenge where you're trying to kind of um, this this organization that was that is allied with the previous protagonist okay. is now and so I really like the way the story kind of places the character and it's just so interesting to like play as Billy Lurk and like have her perspective that's like not one that's a standard one in the in uh, the world of games like you're not like straight white cop like no. you are like a criminal outsider like you you're kind of aimless like you don't really have like a you know a a reason for a reason that like a reason yeah. to do to That's, do shit i felt that as well and yeah. it was interesting because usually i will bemoan the lack of story or connection to uh-huh. the character but i actually loved it in this case because mm-hmm. i was just sort of like here's a 
character who has enough personality. She's hilarious. Some of her reactions to like the in-game happenings are really, really funny. Mm-hmm. Where you find like a secret like code to get into like the the bank guys, like whatever, like the, the tattoo guy. Oh yeah. And it's like mission. She's like a secret knock. Like <laughs> yeah. she's like, come on, yeah. like what is this? And it's just like a throwaway line, but it it helped me build enough connection with her, mm-hmm. um, but really not enough of a connection that I I felt I had to like uphold my usual no kill mm-hmm. you know when i really inhabit a character i tend to put a bit of myself into them and in this case i was just like playing it to have fun like playing it for fun's sake really approaching it more of a toy box than anything else yeah. actually approaching it more of a toy box than i even was able to with hitman mm-hmm. somehow hitman maybe again because of the pace of it i was just it's so slow and methodical that i was very careful with everything that i did every yeah. body that i like you know slept and then dragged Mm -hmm. around every you know turn of the faucet to trigger a guard's you know curiosity like it was all like really careful and in this one i was just like running at full speed being like touch this touch that do that do that if it gives if it gives your transgressions a lot more easily like you can escape you can kill a guard and then like the alert level will go back down and there was a moment where i was like you know moving my dispel Mm -hmm. or displace uh like marker around yeah um which is a spell that basically allows you to like teleport yourself a short distance away like the night crawler banff like you have to be line mm-hmm. of sight um so i was like moving it around and i was like how am i gonna get out of this scenario without being seen Ugh. and i like had opened a door and i realized in a moment of just sweeping my reticule around that i could like spawn on the open door frame. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. and i was mm-hmm. like cheese and i just started like going from like door top to door top Mm -hmm. and like obviously in a in a real world scenario people would be like what the fuck (laughs) is that but i was just like just above eye line yeah and so these guards were like going through their like canned stuff and i'm just like going from door top to door top being like i love video games they're not real (laughs) you know and having fun with it oh yeah having real fun with it or like you know sending out a bamp for like a, a displace again and then like going down and like getting into melee combat with some people and as soon as shit got hairy just teleporting myself up in the sky above the spot that i was at and coming back down with a murdering blow so it's like it was liberating and just empty enough that i could just have fun you know sure or just i guess not empty uh i had enough distance from it that i could just have fun with it which is great i think it's a good use of expansion you know it's like it's this like this Here's like more fun of the game we've already kind of built painstakingly constructed. Here's some of the levels we like redesigned them and then like kind of made them interesting in different ways. Yeah. For me, narratively, for you, like just like mechanically, it's which like is fun, also great. Weird. I mean, do you have like a, like to wrap it up? Do you have any kind of uh, favorite moments that you you can remember like or that you like that could that stand out to you? Yeah, I think um, there were a couple of moments when I was in the bank. The bank was probably my favorite. Mm. mission yeah, because it was too. so like it was so perfect uh mm. in terms of like ludology like lo- you know ludological approach to games versus like narrative because you're like no no the story needs you to break into a bank but like mechanically that's so perfect because yeah. a bank is a vault full yeah. of different locks and access mm-hmm. points and breaking into one is full a, of guards yeah, yeah full of guards it's like a storied simple setup and so that whole mission was a lot of fun for me i think i spent more than 10 hours in that scenario not just on one playthrough but like going through multiple times so i think the second time that i played through the bank uh after painstakingly play it i beat it again in like 15 or 20 minutes Mm -hmm. 
But that second playthrough was so much fun for me because that's the moment where I took the guardrails off mm-hmm. myself. And I was like, I'm going to murder everybody <laughs> that gets in my way. Yeah. And I was just, it was more fluid, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I can't remember. It's not like there was one moment that really yeah, did it like for me. Yeah, like a level as a whole. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. the ability to like, I just unlocked the like quick uh, displace mm-hmm. um, function where okay. you don't have to painstaking like set it up and then do it. You can just like quick touch it to like mm. move over to that place. And at that point, I was just like jumping. I like knew I couldn't reach a thing, but I was like, death has no penalty. So I'd like sprint towards a ledge, like jump off, (laughs) displace myself. I'd be like, this is awesome! And And I had that physical thing of if you're running and jumping while uh, displacing forward, you'll just like keep going. Oh yeah, the momentum. Momentum like swing you forward. You go crazy. Um, The bank shop as well, like as a level, I think was just like, yeah, by far my favorite because I mean, I think the challenge and the struct and like just the structure of the level was just like so interesting and and fun like just like a f- I don't know it just like ticked all my gameplay yeah. boxes where you're just like it's it is it, these are puzzles but they're also just like visual and architectural spaces that are like um, that are how you're how you are solving them or like is a visual method yes. and like it's like, yes you have to find an entrance but it's just to... like yeah but it's so it kind of like it's that like it's that angle of approach that makes their the puzzles so like I guess interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, my, like earlier in that level, like because I, I did the whole thing where you do the formaldehyde or some kind of toxin formaldehyde yeah. sleep everybody dinner, paint thinner to kind of like yeah make everybody yeah. go go to sleep Papa Juice or whatever sleep. it's called like Papa's yeah. Papa's something yeah yeah <laughs> Papa's opium opium den shit yeah. but um, I like I, I wanted to steal it without like you know getting into a fight and it's pretty hard to do because really like to do. And i didn't want to buy it i was like fuck that i'm not paying for this shit that's my man um so i like kind of put my little displace um figure on a balcony that was like away from everybody and then i kind of snuck around until i was like right next to the bottle so i just like jumped down grabbed it nice. and then like everyone's like oh my god which is your boom kitchen and you're just like boom gone and that's it's like, really cool. And it's such a cool like that's really fucking use of cool. this place because like it, you can like leave it there as like this yeah. escape hatch. Yeah. So I'm just like I'm literally like you know maybe you see me but I don't care because you're not gonna catch me. You don't know where I went. I'm out. And I'm gone. Billy Lurk is like, out. Yeah. It's the beauty of like uh, I think when Dishonor works its best is when like um, it gives you that. Um, I mean I, I brought it up in past episodes talking about it, but just it's this game that allows you to uh, really perform. Yes. And, uh, and like kind of uh, take pleasure in. And looking cool and yep. like and um and and being uh being graceful in your movements and mm-hmm. like it's just like so fun when you can pull it off yeah and that and that level just gives you like a ton of opportunities to do that because there's so many like especially if you want to be stealthy about it yeah because the the main like one of the contracts which is basically to be to to get in and out without them ever knowing you were there yeah the shadow shit it's cra- it was crazy hard oh you like, did it I did. I, I had so many quick saves. You wouldn't yeah, that's true. Yeah, you had to spend the quick um, save. But I mean, like, it was, a lot of it was just figuring out how the systems worked because I was like, okay, I'm in here. Like, how do I... Because you basically, it's a moving safe and you're like, how do I break into it without, like, the guard being like, hey, what's he already doing over there? And then I realized you could use the, the mic to kind of, like, tell him yeah, everything's cool. And then, like, you're like... I was like, that's awesome because, like, I didn't know that, the, like, it was like this feedback is, is very, like, a narrative layer where you're really, like, kind of... Um, embodying Billy Lurk and you're Absolutely. like just like trying to like act cool about you know like 
robbing them without like waking up anybody like all right that one guy's awake for some reason actually but... it's interesting you just oh sorry you can oh yeah it. that's it. I, it that just reminded me of probably my favorite moment in like single moment was a moment of total buffoonery on my part where i had like broken into the the um the bank i found the code the or like the passcode so i yeah. used the microphone to gain access into the vault and i got everything out of the vault but when i was getting everything out of the vault the guard was like what the what are you doing? Yeah. Someone's, oh man, someone, and I like pull the alarm and now like all the guards know yeah. that there's someone bad yeah. in the vault area. Uh-huh. And me, like an idiot, I had like disabled the like, the like mechanical guards that were at the entrance that I like microphoned into. Yeah. But for some dumb reason, I forgot that a human guard had mm. let me into that space. Mm. So I'm just like walking and the guy's like, hey, wait a minute. You're not supposed to be here. Oh, and I was like, shit. oh, cue yeah. the Benny Hill theme. And I was like, oh, like I was just like running. Like, I was like, this place, this place, this place. This place. Yeah. It was like hilarious. Yeah, just like the clumsy thief. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like once you have like the object and you're just like hightailing yeah, it out like, of there. Kind of like it was great. football like blocking. Yeah, 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 totally. I just kept on like yeah. displacing myself above a guard and like falling on them and just like kept yeah. on running. Yeah. So it was really fun. No, I mean, it, it it's fun. Both ways are fun. That's what's great about it. Yeah. But yeah, it was it was a good time. It was a solid it was a good time. time. Yeah, solid really fun. Game. Like you know, twenty hour experience. Really, yeah. Really fun. yeah, yeah. I'm glad. I, I'm glad I recommended it because it's like you know, Dishonored Two is really a good game as well, and I hope you eventually play it. But you know, it's a little bit more of a of a mouthful to yeah. uh, something. You know, you have to really like take your time with it. Like, and I would try to like no kill it, and I would try yeah. to do it. Like, and if one you know, level takes ten hours, it's gonna take you a while to beat this beat that game. I would take me forever. Take man. you quite a while. So <laughs> nice way to way to rip me on that one. Well. It's like, you know, because I know you better. I was like, here's the expansion. It's yeah. like a lot uh, more, it's like a tight experience. Like they, they kind of, you know, cut off the extra fat and like you got Dishonored in like this, yeah, a microcosm yeah, of what Dishonored might totally. be. Yeah, totally. The distillation of Dishonored. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So uh, as per usual, thank you so much for watching or listening. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, thanks to at Old School Brian on Twitter, at Old School yeah. Brian who does our theme music. Um and thank you, Yusuf, for thank you, yeah. dishonoring me so, so well. I hope you feel honored by my I, oh, dishonor. I was honored by your <laughs> dishonored. All right. Awesome. Till next time. Till next time. Cheers, guys.